you have a Bible, uh, head on over to the book of Hebrews, uh, specifically chapter 11. We'll be looking at verses 11 and 12, and then we'll also be spending a fair amount of time uh, in the book of Genesis as we're going to need some historical context as I dive deep into God's Word uh, today. Again, Hebrews 11, uh, verses 11 and 12, and then uh, we'll be spending a little bit of time, a lot of time, I should say, in the book of Genesis. Before we get there, it wasn't too long ago, I found myself in the backyard, and uh, I was swimming uh, with the grandkids. I have four grandkids. There was only two at the time. It was uh, Haven, who you guys know. My, most of my illustrations are the Los Angeles Dodgers, or they're my grandkids, right? So, uh, so here's, here's the deal. So Haven and Caden are in the backyard. They're doing what kids do at, at that age, three and four years old. This was a, little, a couple of years ago. And they're swimming around, and they have their, their great comfort, which would be like their little rubber ducky inflatable thing, right? The swan or whatever it is, right? They change all the time. They pop all the time. So they're doing what they're doing, both of them doing fairly well. But I noticed with Haven, who's a little older, she seemed to be really working the waters, navigating the waters at a pretty good pace, looking like she was completely bored. But she could take her little feet and get up and down that pool. Uh, She wasn't being challenged whatsoever. So I did what any uh, papa would do. I thought I would uh, lighten some things up a little bit, challenge her a little bit, nothing like challenging a four-year-old. So I encouraged her to get rid of that floaty and make, make herself over, get out of the pool, ditch the floaty, and then go to the middle of the pool where she could she can learn how to jump uh, from the side of the pool into Papa's arms. So I, you know, I, I ran that scenario by her. She thought about it. She just wanted to make sure that Papa was going to be there to catch her. And I assured her, sweetheart, I would never let anything happen to you. You can trust Papa. So she thought about it. She didn't do it right away, but in time, not very long, she was jumping off the side of the pool and she was landing right splat into Papa's arms, okay? So this fear that she once had was turning into joy and laughter and again and again and again. And many of you have had that same experience with your kids. It's hardly a new thing. But what was interesting with her is she was so confident that Papa was going to be able to grab her that she started jumping even when I wasn't expecting her to jump. Have you been there before? She would hit me on the side of the head, and I'd have to say, listen, calm down. You're taking this thing to a whole nother level. So after some time with her, I decided to invest a little bit of time into the little guy, Caden, who's one year younger. So Haven's a a girl, and Caden's a boy. And uh, same scenario. Why don't you ditch the little floaties, and once you get to the middle of the pool, get them out of the pool and jump, same thing. Uh, Caden wasn't having any of it. I tried to persuade him, no, no deal. He found great comfort uh, in, with his floaties. Uh, it's firmly attached to his arms, his leg, everything. He's attached to everything, this little guy. And he makes his way uh, to the end and the shallow end of the pool because that's the safe place. And by the way, that's the place where Grandma brings him food, Nana. And so he, he likes it over there. So he declined my offer, but he was completely happy and joyful in the fact that his sister was having a blast. He said, just knock, knock yourself out. But he clutched his little ducky or whatever it was. So that's the tale of two kids, and I think you have a pretty good understanding of where I'm going uh, with that illustration. One trusted the promise of Papa, right? This Papa, right? The other one did not. One took a leap of faith. The other one wasn't even close, right? And that's a lot like uh, you and I, isn't it? Uh, you're in that category, uh, and I'm in that category at times. Well, Sarah, who we're going to be talking about today, and Abraham, uh, Sarah is the wife of Abraham, and she is much like, or in the category of my grandson, uh, Caden, you know. She found it difficult 
Sarah did for much of her life, difficult to trust the promiser of the promise. She had a hard time trusting what the Lord said to her. And uh, what was, there were many promises, but the one that I want to talk about would be the promise that she would have a son, the promised son. As you learn her story, you are going to find out a few things about Sarah. For most of her life, she did not take, take leaps of faith. For the bulk of her life, she was not exactly what I would call faithful to any of the promises that God would have for her. But here we are finding out about her or reading about here her in the Hebrews 11, which is in fact the heroes of the faith. So she did something right, and so we'll take a, a deep dive into what she didn't do right uh, and then some of the things she did do right. But I think it's going to encourage you uh, in your faith. So again, this is the Proven Faith series, and uh, the name of today's sermon is The Proven Faith of Sarah. The Proven Faith of Sarah. So here's a quick outline for you before I have you, before we read the text together. Here's an outline. Abraham and Sarah's promised son, so we're going to examine the promised son. So Abraham and Sarah's promised son. And then Sarah, number two, reevaluates the promise. Sarah reevaluates the promise. Three, Sarah's just in case faith. You ever been there, the just in case faith? You know, you hedge your bets, which is no faith at all, by the way. And then number four, Sarah reevaluates the God of the promise. Sarah reevaluates the God of the promise. So if you have that, no, I just spilled all over myself. Way to go. Uh, now that you have the outline, if you want to know where I'm going, let's uh, stand up to honor the reading of God's word together as a church family. Again, Hebrews 11, verses 11 through 12. Here's what God's word says, church family. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age since she was considered, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Verse 12. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. So reads God's holy and inerrant word. You may be seated. So brothers and sisters, <laughs> it says in the text that by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive. Okay, so we see that, that that's the good part. We're going to come back to that. Remember, Hebrews 11.1 1 is a summary statement of the Old Testament. It kind of sums up her life in Hebrews 11.11, 11, I should say. It sums up everything. It sums up her life. It sums up the good things. It, su it sums up the outcome that she ultimately had, which was she was faithful. She received power to conceive by faith. It's, it's good news. But because of her faith, because of this faith that we're going to read about, she is, in fact, identified as one of the heroes of the Hall of Faith, which we've been going through, Hebrews 11. Yet what we read about Sarah, this is important as I set up the text, what we read about Sarah in Hebrews 11, 11, again, what we read about her, we're, we're going to, we, we look at that and we go, okay, that's the end game. That's how everything ended. But it doesn't tell you about how she started. It doesn't talk about the messy middle. It doesn't talk about 
the trials and all those things that went into her faith, which I think are extremely important for you to understand. So it's important because sometimes we think, you know, I didn't come out of the womb with this robust faith. Maybe something is wrong with me. I think Sarah's story is going to encourage you. So today we're going to learn about the numerous times, I mean the numerous times that Sarah lacked faith. And I think you're going to see in the text where she had no faith uh, whatsoever and how God is the one that brought about faith in her and transformed maybe the little faith she did have uh, and made her to be the woman that we read about in Hebrews 11, 11, because she did indeed become a woman of faith. And here's something that's interesting that we need to be reminded of. And so can you and I. So can you and I. We can have this type of robust faith no matter where we start. Remember, it's not where you start, it's where you finish. I've been reading in the news, like you, some of the ministers, unfortunately, that have fallen morally. Brothers and sisters, it's not where you start, it's where you're finished. I'd rather start poorly. I want to I start good and finish good, but we know it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And Sarah may not have started well, but she certainly finished extremely well. So again, point number one, Abraham and Sarah's promised son. The promised son. So let's go back in history a little bit here. Genesis 11, specifically verses 29 and 30, so we can get some context, okay? Here's what it says in Genesis 11, 29 and 30. Uh, the name of Abraham's wife was Sarah. Now Sarah was barren. Remember, she couldn't have any kids. It would be a miracle if she had a child. She's barren. She had no child. Now, if we continue with some more history, Genesis 15, 3 through 6, let me read that to you. Genesis 15, 3 through 6. And Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Let me stop there for a second. Again, that's Genesis 15, 3 to give you some context. Abraham does not, because he has no children, does not have an immediate heir. So as the Lord comes to him and keeps promising him things, he's struggling a little bit. He's thinking through some things. He's trying to work it out. As a matter of fact, if the Lord doesn't give him a child, doesn't give him an heir, um, everything he has, whatever he has, he's not going to have an heir, nothing to pass anything down to. He doesn't have a child, okay? Uh, what he does have is one of his slaves, Eliezer of Damascus. Okay, so that's kind of the context. Again, Genesis 15, 4 through 6. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Who is he talking about? He is talking about Eliezer of Damascus. In other words, Abraham, that's not going to be the heir. Don't worry. Let's continue with God's word. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside. Again, God brought Abraham outside and said, Abraham looked toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he, Abraham, believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. That's some biblical background, some context. In other words, in verse 4, you will have a son. Abraham, you're going to have a son. Your offspring, verse 5, will be like the stars in the sky. So we see the promise here depicted again to Abraham and Sarah. But if we read down even further in Genesis 15, 18 through 20, we read about the covenant that the Lord makes with Abraham 
which speaks more in detail about this future offspring. Now, I don't expect you to memorize that, write all that stuff down. I just want to let you know there's more to the story than, than what we read in Hebrews 11, 11. There's a lot more to it, and this will help us. So Sarah is aware that Abraham is going to be the father of a great nation. She's aware of that, implying also if he's going to be the father of a great nation, then she is going to be a mother to this great nation. Both of those things are true. Sarah is obviously aware of the promised son. She's aware of it. Remember, they've been promised a son. She has been praying. Sarah has been praying. She's been believing. She's been trusting. She's been hoping. She's been wondering when it is this promise is going to come to pass. Let me pause for a second. Many of you understand differently in a different context what it means to wait and wonder when and wonder when i'm looking at two right now that are wondering when i don't want to tell you what they're wondering when about but they're wondering when if you don't know what it is ask them all of us have something i'm wondering when i'm wondering when and she's wondering when we all have those wondering when moments so all of us either are in that situation or know someone that's in that situation or have been in that situation just remember that god is always faithful He's not unfaithful, he's faithful, and he will, in fact, deliver. But number two, if we use that you know, as a point here, Sarah reevaluates the promise. So she got the, she's been promised, it's the promised son, the promised son. Now number two is Sarah reevaluates the promise. Have you been there before where you reevaluate something you know to be true? So she reevaluates the promise. You see, when things don't seem to be going the way that we think things should be going, someone say hello, when, they, when that happens to us, it often leads people, human beings, pastor included, to reevaluate things. We reevaluate what we believe needs to be reassessed because things aren't going the way that we want them to go. Now, I think about uh, uh, the impatient fisherman. Listen, if, if there's a fisherman and that fisherman's impatient, he's not going to be catching a lot of fish, right? Fishermen are pretty patient. You know, an impatient fisherman, they're always tinkering and messing with their fishing pole. If you are a good fisherman and you're fishing with not a good fisherman, or it, they'll drive you nuts. Because the impatient fisherman will cast out his line or her line, and then they kind of tinker a little bit, and within seconds they're pulling it back in. And they're like, I just want to check it. I want to make sure I want to do this. And they're always tinkering and fidgeting they're just doing everything but catching fish but the experienced fisherman the good fisherman again is patient and also if you've noticed about fishermen joe hunt's a fisherman he, you know they always are optimistic about their their fishing they could catch nothing it could be the worst day ever and then they will tell their wives or whoever whoever tomorrow's the day they're going to be biting and then they, they make their way back out to that fishing hole again because they're optimistic of what's going to happen because that person loves the fish. They trust that the fish are going to start biting. They're very optimistic, if you will. Well, Sarah is much like the inexperienced fisherman. She's tinkering and fidgeting with the promise that was given to her. She's constantly re -evaluating what was said 
to her. Uh, she was, what was said to me again? Again, it comes from God. How was that said again? Until she finally reevaluates that promise in her mind and it leads her to start making some changes. And she does. But I want to pause just for a moment and I don't want us to be picking on Eve. I mean, I don't want us to be picking on Sarah. I want us to be thinking about our own lives. But I do want to take you back to that garden in Genesis 3 when humanity completely fell. And what was going on with Eve back in Genesis 3? Uh, you know, she allowed her mind uh, to do a bit of reevaluation. She began to think about some things. She began, Eve began to search for some answers. Uh, and she searched for answers to questions. And guess what? As she searched for those answers, she reevaluated things. She searched for answers, and Satan was overjoyed to provide an answer to her questions. Remember what Satan did? He whispered into her ear back in Genesis, did God really say that? Did God really say that? You must not eat from the tree in the garden. And again, as she reevaluated and re-entertained some things, Satan was happy to offer some answers. Have you ever noticed the plethora, I mean the plethora of help we seem to get when we reevaluate the promises that God has given to us? If you take that for a test drive with people, and you just say, you know, I'm, I'm, and you don't, you just say, I'm kind of rethinking a few things, you know, what do you think? And you start putting that out there. Guess what? You're going to start getting all sorts of responses. And typically, we find ourselves moving away from the promises of God, and we start trusting in our own self, our own whatever that is. And people will help you get there. I want you to think about this whole waiting game. Have you noticed in Hebrews we see a pattern or a theme of people of God, heroes of the faith, if you will, they have to wait? Didn't Noah have to wait like 120 years or something and was told to do something that you and I might think would be ridiculous? But he was faithful to that. We see that Abraham was told to go in faith, and it didn't just, all these things that you would, you would think would happen fairly quickly, they don't happen very quickly. I just want you to understand and go with me and understand that waiting is a part of being a Christian. And sometimes as we reevaluate things during the wait, we often reevaluate it so that we can do the things that we really want to do because we no longer want to wait on God because we want to usurp his authority. Abraham uh, was a man that had to wait. Noah had to wait. Many of your heroes in the faith, they had to wait. And you know people in your own lives that are heroes to you, that you love, that you adore. Just Christians that you do life with, you know that they had to wait as well. Let me give you um, a quote from Elizabeth Elliot on waiting. I think it'll be helpful. Waiting on God requires the willingness to bear uncertainty, to carry within oneself the unanswered question, lifting the heart to God about it whenever it intrudes upon, intrudes upon one's, thought, one's thoughts. It is easier to talk oneself into a decision that has no permanence than to wait patiently. In other words, it's very difficult to wait, and it's dangerous when we don't wait. Sarah 
reevaluates the promise here in this context, looking at Genesis, the totality of history here, she reevaluates the promise given to her by God. And in doing so, she calls an audible. She makes a change. She decides it's time to make some moves. So, what is she doing? What do we learn from the text? She reevaluates the promise that was given to her from God. Let's read more about that. Genesis 16, 1 through 4. Here's what it says Now, Sarah. Abraham's wife had not been able to bear children for him. You know that. But, so she wasn't able to to bear children, right? Genesis 16, 1 through 4. But, here we go. She had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarah said to Abraham, men, listen up. When your wife say this, don't do it. The Lord has prevented me from having children. So go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abraham agreed with Sarah's proposal. So Sarah, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abraham as his wife. This happened 10 years after Abraham had settled in the land of Canaan. Verse 4. So Abraham had sexual relations with Hagar, and she became pregnant. If you're new to the Christian faith or just walked in off the street, and that sounds weird, it is. But I don't have a lot of time to unpack that. We'll have to come back to it. But you get the crux of what I'm trying to say. She's reevaluating things. And she's now called an audible. Now she's made some decisions that are going to be costly. We'll read about that. You know, Sarah's faith, if she did have faith at this time, was so anemic, it was so weak, that she literally would find the promises of God to be laughable. And you and I have been there where sometimes God asks us to do things and we're almost like, really? That's like laughable. Really? That's what you want me to do? We've been there. But what does Genesis 18, 9 through 15 say? Again, I know I'm reading a lot of scripture. It's important. But Genesis 18, 9 through 15. They said to him, they said to Abraham, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she's in the tent. And the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. It's about 24 years after the promise, by the way. I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. And Abraham and Sarah were old and advanced in years. The way of, uh, the way of woman had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Let's just pause there for a second. Is anything too hard for the Lord? We answer that question usually, Nope, 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 coffee cup verse. Nope, we don't think about it. In moments like this, you start thinking about it thinking about it so is anything too hard for the lord at the appointed time i will return to you about this time next year and sarah shall have a son but sarah denied it saying i did not laugh for she was afraid by the way when the lord says you did something you said you didn't do it that's another bad plan right in other words you're laughing i'm not laughing that's how kids do But it says why she did it. She was afraid. We get afraid, don't we? And then he said, 
No, but you did laugh. He got the last word. He always does. Sometimes you and I will allow our minds to wander downstream. Sarah did, and so will any other. Every believer will do this. And before long, as our minds begin to go places, we reevaluate the promises of God, and our minds go downstream. Before we know it, the downstream movement of the mind transfers into something else. It's the doubt stream. It goes from downstream to doubt stream. It always does. And when this happens, a change takes place in our hearts. Nothing good comes from it. A change in what we believe about God begins to diminish. Christians do this. Christians that love Christ struggle with doubt. So it it diminishes. We begin to change. But you see, God, in spite of our faults, in spite of our unbelief, in spite of our sin, if we're in Christ, He will always lead us back to repentance. Repentance. He strengthens the weak faith. He changes our story. Think about it. Many of you have a story. And it's a good story. It's a story of redemption. It's a story how God plucked you out. Maybe more than once. And I've heard it said this way, and I think it's applicable. He changes our story for His glory. We become the example of what God does or did, and that's exactly what will happen to Sarah. But remember what I said to you in the outline. Sarah had what was called a a just-in-case faith. Hey, just-in-case, let me cover my bases. Uh, Just-in-case faith is no faith at all. So Sarah, as we just got done reading about Hagar, her servant, she's going to try to help God out a little bit. This is Sarah's just-in-case faith. She forgets, uh, you know, she's forgetting some things. She's forgetting who God is. And there's numerous consequences when we no longer trust God, take things in our own account, and have this just-in-case faith. She's not trusting God. But let's look at some of the consequences of this just-in-case faith or not trusting God and taking matters into our own hands. Genesis 14, 4 through 6. And by the way, I mean, just reading this, I mean, this happened. Anybody married here? right now and you're sitting next to your spouse just listen to this one okay again genesis 16 4 through 6 so so abraham had sexual relations with hagar she became pregnant but when hagar knew she was pregnant she began to treat her mistress sarah with contempt then sarah said to abraham this is all your fault let's just let that breathe for a second i put my servant into your arms But now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show you who's wrong, you or me. You can't make this stuff up. It's in God's word. Verse 6, Abraham replied. Okay, here we go, guys. Man's defining moment in God's word. Abraham replied, look. By the way, that's a bad way to start a conversation or a rebuttal. Look, she is your servant, so deal with her as you see fit. What is he, Pontius Pilate, the Old Testament? Think about this. Isn't he one of the heroes of the faith too? Interesting, isn't it? Yeah, way to encourage Abraham. You don't want him leading your your men's group, Larry. 
I mean, can you just hear that, that song from the Carpenters? We've only just begun in this household, right? Things are going to be happening. Hagar, as we see, because of all of this, Hagar has become arrogant. Sarah has become jealous like she never had been jealous before. She's madder than a wet hen. Abraham is being reminded that when you choose to sin, you choose to suffer. I mean, what could possibly go wrong with Abraham's decision when you sleep with the servant girl? Have mercy, Abraham. But this is the stuff that we see in God's word. So can we pause for a moment? Are you impressed with the faith of Abraham or Sarah right now? Probably not. But I want to focus on on Sarah a bit here because we're going to be talking about Abraham again next week. But remember what we just got done reading in Genesis 18, 14. You should write this down or think about it or memorize it. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I don't want you to answer out loud because everybody would say, nothing's impossible, Pastor. And I I know many of you believe that, but there's many in the room right now. I didn't say many, but there's more than a few that would say, I I don't know. I want to believe, but, you know, I'm, I'm just struggling a little bit with that. You're not alone. You're not alone. You're not alone. For Sarah, did you know for most of her life, is anything too hard for the Lord for most of her, her life? She would say yes. Yes, there are some things that are too hard for the Lord. Yes. We don't often think about that, do we? But we see an example of that here in the text. Sarah did not always consider God to be faithful, or at least her actions didn't depict it. She didn't consider him faithful, the one who promised. Sarah, we see oftentimes, commits the sin of unbelief. Do we not see that in the text? The sin of unbelief. We see the sin of unbelief for most of her story in the Old Testament. But yet we read Hebrews 11, and it talks about, Hebrews 11, 11 talks about this basically, the summation of this robust faith. Interesting. Point number four, Sarah reevaluates. This is good news. She reevaluates the God of the promise. She goes back to God. Notice that theme. You know, I was at a, I don't know how many years ago it was, I was at a pastor's conference about six, seven years ago. And I went to this conference because I really wanted to learn from other pastors. I I wanted to sit in a room uh, with uh, some of my peers, and I also wanted to learn from some of those that have gone uh, before me. And it would just seem, though, as each pastor got up to speak, it would just seem like it turned into how do you grow your church from here to here, and that's not necessarily bad, but it just seemed like each person, you know, and it seemed like everything they put their hands to, it just seemed to work, and they talked about this robust faith and how they had this faith, and they stepped out, and they're they're starting church from their church, and, and just things are exploding, and that's a good thing, but to be honest with you, I felt a little sad, and I felt like you know, and it's not good to feel. We want to not feel. We want to know, right? We want to know, stand on God's truth. But I was discouraged. I was more discouraged when I left than when I arrived, but I went to get encouragement. And to be honest with you, I felt like the pastor's conference was a lot more like a highlight reel on ESPN. Everyone was talking about, it was like this highlight reel. It was this let me tell you all the great things that, that, that God is doing, and that, that should be a good thing, right? But if somebody was to ask me, you know, Charlie, what, what was the name of that conference? I probably wouldn't have told you the name of the conference. I would have renamed it and called it the Strut Zone. Because it seemed like everybody was just strutting their stuff. It was, the, it was the Strut Zone. But brothers and sisters, 
we have to be reminded that the Lord may not deliver the promise that has been given to you on our timetable, but he will deliver. Isn't that right, Dane and Tammy? How many years did you wait to get that man sitting next to you in a service? The police officer who's waited about eight years to have his wife have the two of them sitting in service together. That may not be as significant as waiting for a child, but in their life, it's significant. Everyone here has a story. Sarah started to work something out. This is good news. She started to work something out as she reevaluated the God of the promise, this God who delivers. So now she's reevaluating things again based upon God's promises. And again, God does deliver because we read in the text that Sarah would give birth to Isaac just like God said that he would. He would give them a son. Remember the promised son. Because God is in the business of doing the impossible. That's what a miracle is. Impossible. So when someone says, that's ridiculous, that can't happen. That's not what science says. Don't give me science. This is God. He created you. He could do whatever he wants. God just does stuff. Sarah does give birth to, to, to Isaac. Why does this happen? Because God is ultimately true to his promises. If he says he's going to do it, he's going to do it. Why does this happen? Because nothing can stop what he says. Nothing can stop his promises from coming to pass. Period. End of story. But in the womb of your faith, in the womb of my faith, it has to be strong enough to conceive, to carry, to birth, and to raise the promise that he has given for your life. You're not running someone else's life. You're running the race, as Paul has taught us, that God has given to you. And many of the promises are right here in God's Word. God's given us ample promises. We can trust Him. So to keep Sarah from taking the credit, there's always a reason, right? To keep Sarah from taking the credit and having her walking in her own strut zone, God does the impossible. In a, in a way that's unexplainable. It's a no way this can happen. God does the supernatural, the impossible, and in doing so, the faith of his people, including Sarah, is what? It is increased. It is strengthened, just like he does for you. Remember, beloved, you and I do not want to serve a God that we can figure out. If you can figure him out, that does, that's not the God that you want. We want the God that can do the things that we can't do. He is God. We need to serve or be reminded of the God of the Bible, the one who can do exceedingly and abundantly above and beyond anything that you and I could ever ask, think, or hope for. That is the God of the Bible. Brothers and sisters, as Sarah reevaluates this God of the promise, because that's what he is, and as she does, her conclusion about God is now found in Hebrews 11, verses 11 and 12. And now with all that context, things start to pop. But by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Verse 12, therefore, 
from one man and him as good as dead. In other words, his body was dead. It didn't work. He's 100 years old. Stuff don't work right. They were born, but yet he's as good as dead, but they were born, so good as dead, were born descendants as many of the stars of heaven and in many of the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. So in other words, God did exactly what he said he was going to do. Look up into the heavens. Look up to the stars. This, this, is, this, is, what you're, this is what's going to be like for you. Your father Abraham. So the point of verse 12 is simply this. It was biologically impossible for Abraham as well as Sarah to have children. It is an absolute miracle. Abraham was closing in on 100 years of age. Sarah was 90 years old. Sarah is stating in verse 12 that she's worn out and he's as good as dead. You don't want that being said of you, but that's the gospel truth, right? The impossible, as God continuously does the impossible over and over and over and over again, drives her to her faith, continues to drive her to faith. Not necessarily just this, but when God does things, our faith begins to strengthen. It begins to strengthen. And we would later learn with her that she believed that with God everything is possible. As she reevaluates the God of the Bible, she recognized he could be trusted. I can leap into his arms. It might be uncomfortable. We also learn that this woman who had this laughter, the laughter of doubt, Sarah had laughed at God. It was a laughter of doubt. But now, on the other side of it, she has been transformed into a faithful laughter. Her laughter has been transformed. It's a faithful laughter. So much so, they named their son Isaac, which means laughter. What about Genesis 21, 1 through 7? The Lord visited Sarah, as he said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived, and she bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son, Isaac, when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him to do. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And this is so precious. Don't, don't miss this. And Sarah said, and Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears, in other words, everyone who hears this story, everyone who hears this is going to laugh over me. And she said, Sarah said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? A 90-year-old nursing children. Yet I have, I have borne him a son in his old age. Sarah laughs. She laughs in pure joy at the faithfulness of the God of the Bible. A woman who had once snickered in unbelief, had a laughter of unbelief. A woman who was so full of doubt, cynicism, and unbelief, it was all turned around when she considered the Lord to be faithful. 
she is who she says that she is, what Scripture says about her in Hebrews 11, 11. She found that the Lord was faithful and she trusted Him, that He would do everything that He had promised, and that's what faith is. It's another definition of faith, to believe that God will do what He says, that He's not a liar. This is not somebody else's faith. This is Sarah's faith. And it's a good reminder of one of the reasons why she's in the Hall of Faith. Beloved, I want to point something out to you that, that Sarah's faith was not perfect. It was not a perfect faith. Your faith's not going to be perfect. But she placed her faith in the one who is perfect. Beloved, faith is a process. It's a process. Sometimes as we go through this process, you are going to feel like you are being processed. But it is a process in its normative Christianity. As you go through the, pro the, the process, just remember something. If you're still living, God ain't finished with you yet. You're in process. Again, you're going to feel like you're finished. But praise the Lord, you are not governed by the way that you feel. You are governed by the Word of God. So we got to know it. we got to know it. At street level, let me ask you a question that I ask myself. And remember, as I preach, I am not preaching at you. I am preaching to myself. I'm preaching to a congregation, which is my family. I'm with you on this, on this journey of faith. So I ask myself and I ask you, beloved, are you living by faith or are you living by fear? Do you know that doubt, as we think about these things, that doubt and fear are natural? Natural, I said. I didn't misspeak. Did you know that fear is natural? Did you know that it's natural to run our minds through scenarios, what if? That's a natural thought. Do you know it's natural to lower your standards so that your disappointments won't be so great. Natural to do that. But if you're in Christ, you are no longer in the natural. We've got to grab that. You are in the supernatural. You've been set apart. You're a set apart son or daughter of the Lord. You have access to God, full access, because the curtain has been torn, and we can come to Him, all ye who are weary, all ye who are thirsty, all you that are tired and Come to him. He will give you mercy. He will give you grace. He says, come, pour it on me. So we can come to him when we have that shattered and tattered faith. Paul says in Ephesians 2.8 that faith is a gift from God. God is the one that gives us the power to believe. And by his grace, he allows situations to come into your life so that those situations will strengthen your because a faith that hasn't been tested cannot be trusted. Sometimes he will make you wait a while, and there's a purpose for it. But remember, if God has given you a promise, it's not a matter of when. It's not, it's not an if, it's just a matter of when. Not if, but when. Sarah believed God, Sarah believed the impossible, and received the impossible. Brothers and sisters, let me ask you the greatest question I can ask anyone. And that is, do you know where you will spend eternity if today is the day that you breathe your last? The Bible says that we can know for sure. The Bible says 
that Jesus Christ was sent to this world on purpose. God sent him here, and he had an action plan. That action plan was to go to a tree that we call a cross. And on that cross, he was slaughtered for our sins. The Bible says that every man is with sin. And the Bible says that if we have sin, if we sinned against God just one time, the punishment for that sin is spending eternity in hell. But God, by his grace, gives us Jesus Christ, and a legal transaction takes place on that tree. And what's Jesus Christ doing? He is paying the penalty for your sins. He's atoning for the sins of the sinner. He takes the sin of of the world and puts it on himself. And he says, for those who put their faith in me, those who repent of their sins and put their faith in me, I will save them. And they will spend eternity with me in glory. Repent. Put your faith in him. Think about how precious this is. The Bible says that when Jesus went to the cross, He paid the sin price for everyone who will, in fact, repent and put their faith in him. The Bible says that he defeated uh, defeated death on the third day. He rose again, proving that he is who he says that he is. He came and made a declaration, here I am, touch me, Thomas. And everybody saw it was him. He did exactly what he said he would do. He promised that he would do it. The Old Testament talks about this Messiah who's going to come. And he comes and he fulfills that promise. And now... Here we are on the other side of the cross knowing this, that Jesus Christ has made a way when there was no way. And your faith, it might be weak at times, but brothers and sisters, if you have repented and placed your faith in him, rest assured, you'll be spending eternity with him. He's a loving Savior, kind and gracious God, and he's going to get us through everything we need to get through, COVID, political season, whatever it is. But let's stick together. Let's know that God can be trusted. He is faithful. And church, listen to me when I tell you this. I love this church, and I love you. And you go, I always feel like you love me. Well, don't go by what you feel. Go invite yourself to my house, and we'll talk. <laughs> but I love you, and I want to spend, spend uh, a lot of time with you, and so does my wife, and our elders are here for you. Uh, Ron's here for you. There's countless people who want to be there for you. But let's do this together. Let's do life together. It's going to be not easy in the weeks to come, but let's do it together. Let's believe that God is who he says he is. Let's believe the God of the Bible. He can be trusted. I love you, church. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for this church family. I love them dearly. I'm honored to be their shepherd. I'm honored to stand uh, with the other elders of this church. Larry Mellum, my dear brother, and Blake, and uh, our care pastor, Ron Gallerini. Thank you for those who serve faithfully. Pray for everybody in this church, Lord, that might be desperate today that might be overlooked today even if they walk out of here lord and they feel overlooked lord would you lord would you rescue them would you put somebody in their life would you put somebody even if we missed it would you put somebody in their life to care for them we do love you lord and we thank you for everything you've done for us in the name of christ jesus we pray